Hey everyone and welcome back to the Purposeful Mindset Podcast. I am honestly so grateful that you're subscribed to my podcast and I'm excited to share yet another episode with you. This podcast is all about bringing servant leaders to share their stories and life experiences with you all in the hopes to help more people to find their true purpose and meaning to life. Today I have an amazing guest that I'm so excited to share with you all. His name is Johan Tuft and he is a mentor to company leaders executives, senior partners of firms, business owners and entrepreneurs around the world. He is distinguished by the extraordinary ability to rapidly identify the absolute root causes of his clients' most severe and costly performance hindrances, organizational weaknesses and strategic deficiencies. Through his time-tested and experience-rich methodology, Johan permanently transforms those who work with him to produce unprecedented results and create an extraordinary quality of life. Johan works with individuals in business as well as in the highly competitive and demanding worlds of top-level sports, performing arts and show business. In this episode, Johan talks about how most people don't truly know themselves internally, which leads them to be lost and fall into depression. He also shares about the mind and how meditation can solve many of people's negative and toxic mindsets. So stay tuned till the end. Honestly, you're going to learn so much from this episode. Without further ado, let's get straight into this one. Hey, Johan, thank you so much for joining me on the Purposeful Mindset podcast. Honestly, I am so grateful to have you on my podcast. And just to give everybody a little insight before we start, and I have you introduce yourself and, and share your story on how we actually met, because I think it was the most um, unique type of person. You're, you're, you're the most unique person I've met so far through, through the people I have as guests on my podcast, because usually it's through social media and I'm asking people um, you know, if, if they'd like to be on the show. But with you, it was a matter of me on a Saturday making my content where I usually go and sit on the 38th floor of a hotel in London where I happen to see your your beautiful, cute son <laughs> running around and, 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 and then coming to your, to your wife's lap. And I just smiled and she saw me, you know, looking at your, looking at your son. And I just started a conversation, like, how old is he? What's his name? And and that's it. Like, and we, and then obviously you were sitting right there. You introduced yourself, and we got chatting. And I just want to like kind of mention, like, I honestly believe, like, in our life, if we don't open our mouth and just say hi, or just be nice to other people, we can never attract good people into our life. Like, can you imagine if I didn't just smile at your son and and start that conversation with you? We would have never have met, right? And I, and I just want to kind of acknowledge that to people is that if you're listening to this right now, I want you to, whenever, wherever you go in your life, smile at people, you know, be nice, be kind, open doors for people. Um, just say thank you. So, you know, just be helpful because you genuinely never know who you can meet in your life that can change everything for you. Correct. Right? And Absolutely. So, so definitely. So, my, Johan, I'm super grateful to have you on the podcast, man. I'm, I'm glad that, I've, that we met and uh, you're doing some amazing things. Please, could you introduce yourself to the listeners and just share with them basically what you're currently up to, but also where, how did you get to where you are? Like, I, I really want to dive into your story because I know when we, when we had a chat, it was, it was amazing. And I was like, man, I really want you to have this conversation on the podcast so everyone listening can get a lot of value from it. 
Fantastic. Well, first of all, uh, Sadiq, let me acknowledge you for reaching out. And yes, we did meet old school style in real person. <laughs> uh, we were there sipping some coffee at, at this beautiful hotel, 38 floors up, overlooking London, extraordinary views. And uh, it was actually the first time I took my wife and kid there. They really enjoyed it. So uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a wonderful afternoon. And um, you're quite right. You know, when you reach out, you never know uh, who you reach out to and, and, and the smile can go a long way. And I always believe that uh, if, you, if you work on yourself and you start to transform your inner self, that smile is an authentic smile. Um, your eyes are radiating energy. And all you need to do is look at someone and smile and they get something from it. Yeah. And, uh, and, then you, and then it can create a little bit of uh, relatedness and open up a conversation. You never know who you meet. So, and in today's world where everyone's so busy, and uh, in the big city, you know, people tend to be, uh, have got their defenses up, rightly so. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's very refreshing to, uh, to, to have an encounter like that. So, you know, I, I reciprocate the, uh, the gratitude. It was, it was great. And so now here we are today chatting so, uh, and, yeah. and doing something together. So really wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yes, we had, a, we had a great conversation afternoon and uh, we, we, we got to know each other quite well. You shared your story. I shared my story. Uh, but my story really is one of uh, basically working, uh, working hard and, uh, and, and staying focused for most of my life. I mean, I, I grew up in Belgium. Um, I'm half Swedish and half English. And uh, we, um, we lived in the countryside. And my dad, uh, I love my dad a bit. He's one of my best friends. But he was, uh, he was in marketing. And he's a creative guy. And I would say he's probably not the greatest financial uh, manager so we used to experience from time to time feast and famine mm. so uh we'd be we'd be doing great and my dad would be doing great and uh it's feast and then a few months later uh a little bit of famine because you know the invoices uh, yeah. his invoices weren't being paid the electric bill wasn't being paid or whatever and then from time to time the bailiffs would come by and they take note of all their stuff so we knew this was going to happen as kids the three brothers and uh, we'd hide our bicycles and later on our motorcycles to make sure they didn't end up on the list of the bailiff. Wow. Um, but it taught me one thing. It taught me that, and, and it taught me something that, um, that was the seed was first planted in my, in my mind by a, um, the, a farmer, the farmer's wife. So we used to, in the summertime, this really is old school because I don't think it happens much nowadays, but in the old days, in the summertime, local kids would help the local farmers with the harvest of straw and things like this. It was a lot of work and, they needed. They didn't have the kind of machines you have today that does everything automatically. So they needed some some uh, people with you know elbow grease to lift the bales up on the uh, tractor trailer, etc. And we used to volunteer because we saw it. First of all, it was a good thing to do uh, for the farmer. It was a good thing to do to us as well because it will muscle us up a little bit. We get training, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the farm at four o'clock every time we did that. Four o'clock in the afternoon, the farm lady would take a break. The farm lady would come along with sandwiches and with coffee. And, um, and, and at the end of that, she'd always share some wisdom. She was, she was a, an extraordinary woman. And I remember she, she told us, she said, boys, if there's one thing I can teach you, this is how she would always say it. She said, if there's one thing I can teach you, uh, be it this, uh, if you don't plan your life, someone else will plan it for you. And you might not, you might not look, you might not like the outcome. Right? So you've got to plan your life. This was about 13 when we heard this. Wow. So I realized I've got to plan my life and I've got to plan all aspects of my life. So there were things I could learn at home, things I couldn't learn at home. So at an early age, I sought to find mentors, if you like, or people who had skills in areas where perhaps the people direct close to me didn't have. And, um, and, and that was, if you like, the beginning of a quest 
for greatness. Um, and, and interesting with those farmers, sticking with the farmer story, the farm we worked on was only about half a mile away from another farm, which we could have chosen to work at. But the other farm, and the other farm was not a pleasant place to be at. Now, both farmers were uh, the same age, born almost in the same month, educated in the same village, went to the same school, went to the same farm uh, university. Farmers in Belgium used to go to a, a farm college or university and, uh, and graduated and had the same size farm. One was a, a wonderful place to be at. The other one was a miserable place to be at. And, and, and I wondered, why is there such a big difference? And I realized the difference is basically uh, in who the farmers were being and, and how they saw life and how they chose to participate in life. So the farmer uh, who we helped, uh, you, you go to his farm and the animals even seem to be quite happy. Um, and he was always up to something positive and the farm was clean. The food they produced was beautiful. Uh, it was just a, a, a good experience. And the other place was miserable. You know, you get bitten by a dog walking into the farm. You know, it was just... <laughs> so it, it got me thinking, how can, how can two very similar people lead such different lives where it starts from the inside out? So I started looking at that. And uh, I was lucky uh, in Belgium at the time, um, martial arts was quite widespread. And in every village, practically, there was a judo club and the karate club. And so I was exposed to that and they were quite authentic and they had direct uh, relationship with Japan. And so quite a lot of the, uh, the mindset and maybe even spiritual ideas would flow through. And I appreciated those. They were really about becoming the best version of yourself and focusing your mind. So, so I think the quest kind, kind of for that level of for greatness, for personal greatness, regardless of circumstances in life, started for me. And um, then at an early age, I was in the Navy and I learned a lot of things from the disciplines and the, uh, the organization, the structures, uh, the chain of command and all the different missions that we were on in the Navy. And then after that, I, uh, I decided not to have a full officer career in the Navy for political reasons. My politics changed. And then I went into, uh, uh, by accident, if you like, into catering business because I, uh, I, I was out of work. Uh, well, I was actually not out of work. I took a whole lot of jobs, but I had no real idea what I wanted to do after coming out of, of, uh, of the Navy. So um, I took a year off and my dad was keen for me to go to law school in, uh, in Canada because in wow. Canada, they speak French and English. We spoke French and English at home, um, dad being English, mother being Swedish. So English and broken English mixed with French was kind of home language. <laughs> uh, we, we were schooled in French. Uh, the village we lived in spoke Dutch. So it's all mixed yeah, wow. in Belgium where many people speak at least three languages and we did uh, and so uh, I, I wasn't sure what to do and one morning my dad said uh, Saturday morning maybe halfway through the year he said son what do you want to do and he was getting concerned uh, although I as I said I had all sorts of little jobs working in supermarkets and things like this just to keep money coming in uh, basically to keep to put fuel in my motorcycle etc you know, do the things I wanted to do uh, he said, what do you want to do? And, and I, I really didn't have, I didn't know. But I didn't tell him I didn't know. I just sat there. And then suddenly I found myself saying, and, and to this day, I think it must have come out of a movie that I would have seen at the time. I said, I want to go west. I want to go as far west as I can go before I start going east again. It just came. I was surprised by what I said. And my dad, to my even greater surprise, said, I think I can help you, son. I have a very good business friend who lives in Eugene, Oregon. I said, where on earth is Eugene, Oregon? He said, that's on the west coast of America. You can't go any further west. You'll start coming east again. And so he wrote to the gentleman in question, who was the founder and chairman of a fast food chain, Mexican style, 
uh, back in those days didn't exist over here. Now there's a lot of Mexican food, burritos, tacos, and all that is becoming very common. Yeah. Back in the, I'm talking the 80s now, it was unheard of in most of Europe. Uh, and uh, so I had no idea what that was. Anyway, uh, he wrote to the guy and the guy said, sure, I'd be uh, happy to uh, consider one of your sons coming over and perhaps you know, we could support him in getting some employment or whatever. And uh, then he said that, um, that he, he and his wife were coming to Europe and they would, uh, they, they would be happy to come to, to Belgium. We'd all go out together. We'd go to the capital city and go out and have a lunch together and families would get to meet families and, and then yeah, we'd see what happens from there on. So we did that. And uh, interestingly, uh, when I first met him, he didn't know which of the three sons uh, had this, this, uh, this desire to, to go to the States. Uh, but he met us all. And so we all got introduced. And then he looked at me. And uh, he kind of looked at me from head to toe and, back, and then from toe back, back to head. And he said, what branch of the forces are you in, son? And I said, I'm sorry. He said, Army, Navy, Air Force. I said, Navy, sir. He said, I was a, an officer in the Pacific campaign, Second World War, the U.S. Navy. And I found myself suddenly st standing at attention, ready to salute him. <laughs> and we got on great. So he invited me to go to the States. And I was very, very, it was a fantastic move because, first of all, coming from a small country like Belgium, it's a flat country, uh, highly populated, very busy. And, and for me, Belgium has always been, you know, it's Napoleonic code. And it's, everything is detailed. It's, it's an administrative-driven country. And uh, you've got to be a certain age to be in a managerial position. Um, the answer usually is no before you can get to a yes. And so certainly that was my impression of it all. And so I was a little bit rebellious uh, in, in my younger age there as a result of that. Anyway, arriving on the West Coast of America, it's, it's yes. It's big vision. It's big picture. Definitely. People want to create stuff. It's anything and everything is possible, right? So what a breath of fresh air that was for me. And, uh, and they offered me a job as a, as a table wiper. And I ended up uh, working in these restaurants, wiping tables. And they soon saw the, uh, the experience I had, Navy discipline, et cetera. So uh, they invited me into their management training program. And I received probably the best management training money can buy. This company was a fa family-owned company that had about 500 restaurants, and they invested heavily into their people. They profiled everybody from the cook all the way to the CEO. Uh, they trained everybody. They, they, they had great managers, a really good uh, inspirational management and leadership style. And so it was a very, very good start for what became a very successful career in the fast food industry for me. So that was humble beginnings, if you like. Yeah. And so at, at, 19, at uh, 19, I was one of the youngest restaurant managers in the fast food industry in America. Wow. Because there, if you can do it, they'll give it to you. Yeah. So as they gave dream, it to right? me, I took they, it. They, it's they American love, dream. Yeah, they, they love it. They, they're yeah. open. They're so, more, they're so much more open-minded, I find, to opportunities, to business, to life, to, to people yeah. dreaming and, and achieving big things in their life. They're not That's very open-minded right. people, you know. Yeah, that's part of their, their, their strength. And certainly where I was, that was very much the, the flavor, if you like. And so I learned and learned and learned and learned. And every six months I got promoted to a, to a bigger restaurant with more responsibilities. But then eventually uh, the dream kind of came to an end because the immigration department then decided I'd been there long enough. And unless I married someone or did something like this, I, I would have to leave. So I left and I came back to, to Belgium. Uh, I could wow. see I, it was no longer a good fit for me. So I decided to come to London and my grandparents lived in London. And when I arrived in London, I realized London is not that, not too different to America. It's, 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 it's an extraordinary city, very cosmopolitan. And it is a, there's a lot of energy there and a lot of possibility. Mm. 
it's a it's a very it's still today as a matter of fact today i would say it's even more vibrant than it was then so yeah. if you're if you're up for stuff there's stuff to do in london right Definitely. and there's extraordinary amount of extraordinary people to meet in london i mean it's the hub of the world if you like from that perspective so i came here i got quite excited i decided i think i can pursue a career uh, in, in in the same industry over here so in those days there were only a few McDonald's in London and a few, uh, <laughs> a few other pizza huts or whatever. So I got the job with one of the burger chains, not McDonald's, one of the other ones. And uh, they hired me as a restaurant manager. And then I did, I, uh, I learned a lot from them and just grew and grew and grew and uh, became very good at running fast food restaurants. Whatever I touched pretty much turns into sales and profit. And uh, uh, I, I, of course, they invested in me quite heavily. They sent me to, 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 uh, to America, to, to a fast food university, if you like. And, and uh, trained me in, um, the, the, I suppose, the one thing that I, I learned from, from them, which very much set me up for what I do today, is uh, on one occasion after, I think I was there for two years, I was doing extremely well. They put me in their busiest, it was the second busiest fast food restaurant in the world, if I remember correctly, at the time, in central London. And, um, and, and, and I turned the, the place around from being, if you like, a zoo to a flagship. And wow. we, we just crushed all the sales and profit targets. And uh, I grew a lot of people under me, brought them along with me and, and trained them up. But um, on one occasion, the HR director walks into the restaurant and asked to speak with me. So I said, sure, after lunch, let's sit down and speak. And uh, we did. And, and I said, how may I help you? And she said, um, what leadership style uh, do you think you are? Are you, are you an autocratic leader or a democratic leader? So I said, well, let's not kid ourselves. Everybody knows I'm an autocratic leader. I mean, this is a very busy restaurant. We have more than 150 staff. We're open pretty much 24-7. And uh, we take no prisoners here. They, you know, we got to make things happen. So I run it like a ship, you know, like a tight yeah. ship. Right. And, uh, and, and of course, some people might get a little bit upset and disappointed by that, but that's how we need to run it. She said, okay, so what do you think is a better leadership style, the autocratic or democratic? So I said, well, in small restaurants in in a, in a little provincial town, I suppose the democratic is very good because everyone knows each other and it's kind of like a family atmosphere and we can ask for people's advice before we make decisions. Mm. Here we have no time. Then she said to me, to my surprise, she said, you're wrong on both counts. So I said, come again. She said, yeah, you're wrong on both counts. I said, well, what is the best one? She said, well, that's what we, we're going to send you to the States, to university to learn. And they taught me situational leadership. The ability wow. to adjust one's leadership style according to the situation That's and so the people. Cool. Yeah. So so that unlocked me. And that was a massive breakthrough for me that I didn't, you know, it's a bit like if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yeah. So I realized actually I've got a much bigger toolbox and I can get better results and better commitment from people from using different tools. So uh, So I did that. And I rapidly saw the difference between my management style, which was now very adaptable and very fluid and very situational, and as a result, very effective, to people who were still stuck in the old paradigm of either, either being autocratic or democratic. Mm. And so today, when I work in organizations, I can see instantly who's stuck in the democratic or autocratic. Yeah? They're great with the people, but the numbers don't happen. Or they're great with the numbers, but the people don't stick around. Mm. Yeah? You kind of got this pendulum swinging one way or the other. Oh, no, the other, yeah. Yeah, it's polarized and as opposed to a whole. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, that's actually pretty like an insane story because 
in in terms of like how you were saying you only or well, she kind of was testing you i guess saying what kind of leader are you and she was, she just yeah. wanted to see your reaction you know because she she knew you probably didn't know any such such thing that exists as situational leadership right correct i didn't and, know and yeah. the fact that she that you answered in a way that she knew she probably was expecting your answer and was like no this is what i want you to learn and this is yeah. why we're going to send you there um, yeah. but like just to, just to kind of just kind of like just add into what you were sharing like how how was that mind shift for you though from coming like you said like you know you came from you 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 became the best in the US and then you came to London and like how was that paradigm shift for you like how did it feel at the time because it's very different right i mean i know the vibe the the vibrant kind of uh, energy around in both countries are probably similar but in terms of like your mindset like what changed when you went from the, being the best uh, you know in the fast food industry in the US and then coming to London yeah. what did you find was the biggest kind of shift for you well first of all everything i learned there was of great use to me here because yeah. i mean the, the fast food industry is a very interesting business i mean a lot of people look down upon it you know it's you know, kids cooking chips or spotty face kids cooking chips fair enough but the genius behind it i mean the gentleman uh, who who i spoke about earlier on he was navy trained and he set up his fast food chain in 1954 and he basically followed it's called navy systems so you go to any one of those big fast food chains if you go behind the scenes you will see the systems are very very precise very very well thought out i mean every move it's just like on the front counter right? in the kitchen yeah it's probably it's, the it's, best it's, example i think of a system absolutely it's extremely well sought out and it's been it's it's continually improved as you go along you see it's never static i mean nowadays you just go in and place your order on a screen right so you see the efficiencies so they're marrying systems with people and money with a customer at the middle it's brilliant and uh and and therefore they can franchise it because it's a duplicatable system that other people can operate um so it's very precise so the learning you know going through management training and, and going through uh a management career in an industry like that sets you up pretty much for anything i say um and um but also, to answer your question just, yeah. sorry just to, just to kind of add just to kind of add in as well something yeah. i actually learned I, i don't know if you knew this actually johan but yes. something i learned a few years ago was actually did you know that the word franchising or franchising in general was uh, like one or two volts away from like being illegal like being not allowed because because at the time the government or the yeah i would not be surprised or, I mean, yeah, yeah they, yes. the government or the, i think the people in power at the time of uh, like people voting if franchising should be allowed they were they were saying like if th- this is, basically it was too good to be true but they didn't want this to happen because they thought my god if we can if people can duplicate their business and allow uh, other people to grow the same company for them but give them like most of the profits then that's going to kind of screw over a lot of other businesses and other companies right Exactly. Exactly. And 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 it's also handing over control to others. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. so that not everyone's always keen to do that in old paradigms, yeah. But once your question coming up from America was very interesting because working in London and working in America very, very too. I worked in a, in a small town on the west coast in in a state where I think it's about the size of France with 2 or 3 million inhabitants. And 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 the city I was in was a university city with I can't remember how many people but less than a million, far less than a million. So a lot of space and uh, and 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 close to nature if you like so uh, and and pretty much mostly certainly in those days caucasian people living there i mean very little ethnic mix and when i came to london and also where i lived in a small village in in, in belgium so when i came to london the biggest 
paradigm shift for me was the cultural mix of London. I mean, I, I, they put when I, when I first joined the fast food chain here, I was working on night shifts. So they, they made me a senior assistant manager on night shifts all night long. And I had about, I think, 36 different nationalities uh, working from me, from, from me, from about five different uh, ethnic groups, you know, all the sizes, shapes, and colors you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And so I remember on my first evening, uh, my, my trainer at the time, the guy who was responsible for integrating me into the system, he was Nigerian. And, uh, and, and, and I arrived at the restaurant at night and I was the only white guy there. All right. So I asked him before he left, he said, uh, is, there, is there any, do you have any questions before I leave and leave you alone here? He says, yes, I have one question. He says, how about racism here? Now, to me, it was obvious that there'd be a problem. He said, oh, you don't have to worry about racism at all. I said, well, what do you mean? I'm the only white guy here. He says, I, that won't be a problem at all. They will respect you. But watch, there'll be plenty of racism. Keep your eyes peeled. You'll see. I said, really? When? He says, around about shift change, around about midnight. Have a look. You'll see. Right? And interestingly, I mean, this was far off my radar, right? From a you know, little school, little, uh, a guy from a little village you know, at school where actually there was one Congolese guy in our school. That was it. And I didn't know him that well. Uh, but uh so sure enough, I shift changeover. There's a massive fight happening in the kitchen, and it was between the Nigerian, uh, uh, a Nigerian um, clan, if you like, and and the Ghanaian one. They're at each other's throats. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Oh, wow. So I came in. So I remember they were they were fighting, and I came in and and I and I stopped the fight, and uh, and I and they basically I said, "What's going on here?" He said, "Well, that chief, and it was a, literally a clan chief, uh, that chief." So, as a matter of fact, was a was an Asian guy who told me. He said the problem here is there's a there's a Nigerian chief over there, and there's tribal chief, yeah, traditional tribal chief. And they had the, they had the the Ghanaian guys. I think it was the Ghanaians. They had the scars on their face. He's at war basically with the Nigerian chief. So I went up to them. I said, "You guys are both chiefs." It says, "Yes." I said, "Under this roof, there's only one chief. That's me." <laughs> and I killed him right there. I and it. I took control, and there we go. And, and that was the end of all that fighting and all that, if you like, racism or, or, or whatever the the the, uh, the discrimination was between them. Um, but that was a big eye opener. So I became very uh, very interested in learning how to communicate with people from different cultures, different backgrounds, um, complete different value systems, different languages, different ways of living, and. And it was exciting because when I was with Italians, I'd, I'd communicate in a certain way. When I'm with Africans, I communicate. When I'm with guys from Hong Kong, it was another way. And, uh, and I started to see there were some kind of, there were traits that these people had that most people from Hong Kong had a lot of these traits in common because they were obviously conditioned that way. Mm. Um, so, for instance, with the Hong Kongese, you could treat them pretty tough so long their paycheck was absolutely accurate. Yeah. yeah? 50p was missing from their pay. That's it. You had a rebellion on your hands. Yeah? <laughs> but otherwise, you could demand pretty much anything from them. That was my experience at the time. So you kind of see how to reach people. Um, you know, there's the expression that I hear a lot, and I heard it a couple of days ago, which is probably why it's fresh in my mind. Someone said, uh, "We should, you should treat people the way, uh, uh, the way you'd like to be treated." Yeah. And I say, I disagree with that. I say, you should treat people the way they, they like, they would like to be treated. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. Powerful. Not the way I like to be, how I like to be treated. I, you know, I'm, I'm conditioned in a certain way. Mm. And uh, so, so someone from the other side of the world is conditioned very differently and they yeah. want to be treated differently. So understanding that I think is very important in a, in a cosmopolitan city like London, if you have people 
from more, from four corners of the world working with you or working for you. Yeah, key to know that. Yeah, hey, it's so, so true. I mean, that's one thing about London, right? It's so yeah. multicultural and it's so open in it and, and hand, yeah. hands on to to. You see all different types of people here that, yeah. like, it, it becomes normal. Like, you know, you don't racism is very little unless I, I guess when it comes to like in the workplaces and stuff like that it can like i've seen it myself it does kind of still exist till today yes but it's not like like i always tell people like you know what like if you if you genuinely know that you can't personally do anything about it yes then you, then, then you just get on with your own personal life like don't get Correct. into other people's business you know if, if they feel something is wrong with their, their career or their life, they should actually go and like mention something or speak to their manager or whatever it is. Um, but I think like most people tend to overthink things in, in life in general. Like they, they make something so small, really big. Well, this is what I call being, being hooked. Yeah? yeah. They get hooked by stuff, which is outside of their control, which has nothing to do with them, has to do with other people, other people's ignorance or bigotry yeah. or, or, or others. Um, and, and I always say, if you get when you get hooked, you get cooked. It's over. <laughs> I, <love> it. <laughs> I like that saying. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, and so you end up reacting and responding to external circumstances. Now, I say that as someone who has a low self-concept, in other words, they haven't invested in themselves. They don't know who they are. Mm. They don't know their strengths and their strengths and weaknesses, and they haven't cultivated themselves. So, how do they, they do that? How did you do that, Johan? Okay, well, I'll come to that in a moment. Okay, park that for just a second. Okay. It's a good question. But the point is, people haven't cultivated themselves, don't know themselves. All they know is what's their conditioning of what's around them. So they will will relate to external factors. So if you like their ego, their ego relates to external factors. So it relates to how much money they have in their bank account, um, what kind of car they drive, the clothes they wear, the house they live in, uh, the, the, the titles they have. Uh, and so on and so forth. This is what they relate to. Take all those away and there are nobody mm. in their mind. Right? Yeah. Now, when that happens, um, you, you're vulnerable because life is very ephemeral. Things come and go. You, know, you could get promoted today and get a 50% pay rise and then they realize, oh, oh actually, we got someone better and they put you back on, you know, you, you, they take it away from you. Yeah, and yeah. Or you could, you know, the stock market crashes and you you, you uh, we live in the same area in 2008 the amount of people that jumped off towers in canary wharf yeah tragic you know because suddenly their whole wealth is gone and all they related to themselves for the most was their wealth and take the wealth away and they're nobody so they they hadn't built their own humanity mm. their own uh, vital um connection to, to to life itself and so if you don't have a vital connection to life you could call it many things but let's call it that for now then your only connection is to external stuff yeah. And so external stuff comes and goes, it increases, it decreases, so your life becomes a yo-yo. Yeah, so true. You're, you're, at the, you're vulnerable, you're at the, the, the whim and mercy of circumstances. Yeah. So people who have worked on themselves understand that circumstances should be kept at an arm's length, yeah. and they have an internal compass, and they're, they're less driven by circumstance, although they're very involved with circumstance, and you've got to work, you've got to make things happen, and they may, might be even more involved, powerfully involved with circumstances, but they're driven by principles. So people driven by principles see life very differently to people who are not driven by principles and therefore driven by circumstances. Mm. So it's a little bit, when I'm, when I'm working with people, I, I, you know, picture says a thousand words. So as a matter of fact, if you allow me, I'll grab them out of my drawer here. I show this to people who might like this. Let's see if I can, if I can find them. I share this. 
I tell them that you know, typically, if you haven't developed your mind, and I know the conversation we had uh, talking about the mind, and I think if I remember correctly, Sadiq, you told me that uh, for the last five years now, you've been passionate about becoming the best version of yourself, right? Yeah. And, and understanding how your mind works and leveraging that and basically living uh, a, a life from a powerful, positive empowered mind right yeah and that you're leveraging the best of your mind so so i say that um until we do that basically the mind is like a jungle and it's run by monkeys <laughs> i love that yeah, yeah. monkeys have taken over the show yeah true and the lion is fast asleep yeah so our job in transformation personal transformation if we want to become powerful in our lives is to not to do much with the monkeys because there's too many of them and there's all types of monkeys. Yeah. And there's big gorillas. I think I've got some more here. Um, there's big gorillas. What we want to be doing, there we go. There's a whole bunch of them in here. I went to Hamley's and stuffed up on this stuff because it's very visual, right? So we've got all these. Yeah, here we go. We've got some gorillas. Yeah. The ego can be very stubborn, can be very playful, uh, can be very tricky. Yeah. Can be, can be very um, obstinate. Yeah, all the different aspects of of the mind, and and the line. These guys are on top of the line. Who's fast asleep, right? <laughs> so what we've got to do is wake up, wake the line up, and roar. And the minute the line roars, what happens to the monkeys? They run away. They run away. They skittle, right? Yeah. They run away. All right. And then once your line is awake, you got to feed him, right? Because the one you feed the most becomes the strongest. Feed him so he becomes big. <laughs> <laughs> now the monkeys have very little power over him. I love this such a visual. This is such an amazing visual way to teach people this stuff, right? Yes, it's simple, right? But you get it. Once you see that, you can't forget that, right? So our job is to wake the lion up, and the lion is principle driven, not circumstance driven. Um, he is wisdom driven and less emotionally, and certainly not ignorant driven. Hmm. So it tells us then, if we want to be the lion in the life, we've got to learn about wisdom. Yeah, uh, we've got to learn about principles. We've got to start to tidy up our mind, restore order in our mind. If you restore order in your mind, you have half a chance at least of leading other people. Because I say, and some people might disagree with me, but I say that every human has a desire and a need for leadership. Internal leadership. So the monkeys actually want a leader. Mm -hmm. they, they, they know the jungle should, the lion should be in control. If the lion's asleep, it's a bit like dogs. A pack of dogs that doesn't have an alpha male is a confused pack of dogs. They'll do all sorts of crazy stuff. And you see people, I mean, one of my, one of my uh, great uh, moments of, of understanding that was, again, uh, I was in the States, but a lot later, maybe about 15 years ago, I was on a business trip in the States, and it was a rainy day, and I was a day early, and there was nowhere to go. So I stayed in the hotel, and I turned on the TV, and there was 115 channels of all sorts of nonsense to watch. But I landed on one. And I, I don't know if you've come across this guy, but the guy called Caesar Milan. You ever heard of Caesar Milan? No, I haven't. They call him the dog whisperer. Caesar Milan oh, is... yeah, I think I've heard yeah. of you, actually. Yeah, 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 you know, he's half... I think he's half Mexican, half Californian. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah, and, and so he... Yeah, it's a great TV program. You, you can find it on YouTube, I'm quite sure. It's got a good website with all sorts of stuff on there. Um, but he, um, he basically uh, works with, so he goes to people's houses and helps them with their dogs. So he gets these calls. He's in California, but let's say he gets a call from someone in Boston and uh, they've got a, uh, a poodle which is out of control and tearing the curtains and biting kids and so on and so forth. 
So they will call him and he'll show up and he rings the front bell and they say, ah, Cesar, we've been expecting you. So great to see you. So he comes in and he's got a bit of this Mexican accent. And he says, so how may I help you? Once the small talk is over, then they say, well, um, could you please uh, retrain our dog? Because he's causing all this havoc. So then he asks, well, who is your dog? You know, what's his name and so on and so forth. And then, uh, then he brings the dog and he says, well, I can't train your dog. And they say, well, we're confused. You've come all the way from California. Um, a dog is creating all these problems. Um, we need you to train him. He says, I can't train your dog. I'll train you and I'll rehabilitate your dog. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? All right. And, and then he teaches them the principles of, of, of dogs. Right? So dogs are, are pack animals and each pack needs a leader. And so, if I recall correctly, one out of the 12 dogs is born an alpha male, a leader. Okay. Yeah? It's just the, the, the DNA. It's a leader. So, so dogs know this because it displays certain signs, right? And the main sign is, first of all, that that dog is calm and assertive in all conditions, mostly, in all situations. And also, when they run, it taps it on the shoulder, taps other dogs on the shoulders, and the dogs kind of they follow the pack leader. And so, people have dogs, and they're not calm and assertive, Right, so if you have a dog and you're not calm and assertive, it will not view you as the alpha male. Yeah. So it won't follow you, it won't lead you. Yeah. And what it will, what it will seek to do, because there's no alpha male, it will seek to become the alpha male, even if it's not an alpha male, because it needs leadership. Wow. Yeah, without leadership, it's at a loss. So yeah. this is why you see dogs that take over households. So I see people walking down the street with a dog, and the dog is dragging them. Yeah, I've seen that. And yeah, you've seen that, right? Because the person is not calm and assertive. Their mind is running around, yeah, the opposite of calm, agitated, yeah. and they're not assertive. They're, they're talking to the dog as if the dog was a human being. Mm. Yeah? Well, the other thing Cesar teaches is that actually dogs don't operate the same way with their senses. Dogs use the nose first and foremost. Then I believe it's their ears, and then finally their eyes. Oh. Bit of background noise, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah. A 10 year old boy, he's got a bit of a cough. Um, 10 month old boy, sorry. Uh, so they use their, their, uh, their nose first, then their ears, then their eyes. Now, different people, again, if you start to observe people and want to communicate with people, get the best out of people and get best out of yourself, you want, to, you want to understand how they operate. Now, for the most, humans operate first with their eyes, then their ears, then their nose, but, but some humans are more visual. Yeah. Others are more kinesthetic. Mm -hmm. or others are more auditory. NLP teaches people this. So when you start looking at that, let's say you're doing a sales presentation to somebody, you want to sell something, and they're auditory, and you start showing them stuff, they switch off. Exactly. Yeah. And what I'm fairly extraordinary in leadership and, and management is people, first of all, don't know themselves, right? If they did, they would have uh, not allowed the monkeys to run the show. They would have waken up their line. So they don't know themselves, and then they're seeking to lead or get collaboration or sell to other people. Mm. And it becomes very, very difficult. Doesn't work, yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah. So you've got to understand yourself, and therefore you can start um, begin to understand other people. But simple things like are they visual? You need to slow your mind down and get past yourself and start being with them. But that's the thing, Johan. Like most people are in that state of like what you're talking about. Most people are in that jumbled mindset of like they have too much stress and they're overthinking over analyzing and you know especially when you live in a busy city like london or, or the, in the u.s that yeah i'm just so busy with their work life their nine to five job and their other uh, second job or their part-time hustle or whatever it is they're so busy 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 
um, or they're just like going to going for drinks with their friends and you know they always have plans that, that, that the people are so stressed that they're not mindful they're not mindful is exactly the word that their, their, their mind is not fully here that's what i call mindful their mind is elsewhere 100%. Right? but but the paradox is a, a, a mindful mind is actually empty yeah that's the paradox all right because why people are not their mind isn't fully present is because it's too full of stuff turning around so i, I call that like it's a bit like in a car you know if you're driving your car uh, you know the the rev the rev counter in the car, yeah. So yeah. if you're idle, you're not going anywhere. You want your rev counter to be on what two or three hundred, right? Yeah. Your engine is just turning over, and then when you're driving, it goes up. Yeah. If you're in first gear, and you really push it down. You can get up to five, six thousand. Then you go to second gear, drops to four, four thousand. Then you go into third gear, drops to three thousand. Then you go faster, right? Yeah. So the engine is turning less fast, but producing more speed because you've got that gearbox and the ratios. Mm-hmm. Now most people, their mind is stuck at six thousand. Yeah, even right. when they're not doing anything. Not so, good, yeah. yeah, exactly. The amount of people I've, I've worked with, I ask them to sit down for five minutes and think of nothing. Just sit down, can't do, can't it. do it. Mind you going, ring, 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 ring. I have hundreds, I have, honestly, Johan, I have so many friends like that. And I just like, yes. I, I, I try my best to just teach them how to just find some of that peace and just to find that space where they don't need to think about anything. They find it so hard. They literally can't do it. And, and unless you Correct. take them out of like a whole different surrounding and take them somewhere different. Correct. So our mind is so agitated and uh, it's a little bit like uh, stormy weather at the sea. Right? If you're yeah. looking down from a boat and the weather is very choppy, you don't see much. So our awareness is diminished by all this agitation. Mm. Uh, but if you were at the bottom of the sea looking up, you know, it's calm at the bottom of the sea, you're looking up. And the agitation at the top, but you can see everything. You can see all the fish swimming, you can see the algae, you can see all the things, you can see the underneath the boats, you can see all the way from the, the bottom of the sea up, but you can't see from the top down. Yeah. So we want the reverse our way. So most, pe- most people, and including me before, uh, and, and if I don't pay attention, it can still happen now. My mind is very agitated, so the monkeys have taken over, and they're screeching, they're jumping in the trees, throwing bananas, and you're making a lot of havoc. And but the, the only difference is, between, between you and others is that you're more self-aware now, right? Because you've trained your mind over correct. the years. Like That's even, it. I've trained my mind, yes. Exactly. Even me, I, I'm going to admit you know, the same thing. You know, sometimes I am also so busy and like, people see me hustling. I know that I'm working super hard and I, don't, I like, yes. haven't had a rest or I'm, yes. over, I'm overworking and under, you know, it's not sleeping enough and stuff like that. But then I'm self-aware. Like, I, I know that it's happening and yes. I, my, because of the personal growth that I've been doing and training my mind for the last five years... I know I'm self-aware and when I get a chance, I actually sit down and become, you know, have that time to, to find, you know, to realign myself, to, to reflect and to come back to center, you know? Wonderful. Uh, absolutely wonderful. And, and this is what we want to be doing. And uh, unfortunately, it's not taught at school. Yeah. As a result of that, it's not taught in families. It's not taught at school. It's not taught at business school. It's not taught by our employers for the most so we show up at work, and if we're not manual, even manual labors need a good mind, but if we're not manual labors, chances are mind is our main tool. So yeah. if you're working in an office, if you're an architect, a lawyer, any one of these specialists, you're, you're using your mind full on all day long, right? Yeah. And it gets tired. It gets tired, and you're, you're probably not eating, right? Exactly. They're having, yeah. they're having fast food, and they're having That's right. crisps all this stuff. snacks yeah. all day long. Now, the brain, is, the brain is the hungriest organ in the body. Mm. yeah and so it, it gets its food from all the biochemistry created so we're like a big we're like a big battery 
right? Yeah. And I've got a battery here. Uh, yeah, let's say we like a big battery. Here we go. There's a battery. We're a big battery, right? <laughs> now, most people, their battery is that they're exhausting their battery and they're at half full, mm. okay? And then, and then it, it drops, it drops, it drops. Then they, they drops quite low. Then they sleep and it gets back up to half full, right? Now, when the battery is half full, let's say my house was powered on this battery, if it's half full, there's some things I don't want to turn on because they just drain it too and everything will switch off. Yeah. So I might turn off the air conditioning, let's say. Yeah. or the heating or something because it's really energy affected. So I've got to switch things off. Now, the human body is very, very, very smart mechanism. It will start switching things off if there's not enough power. Yeah. Now, the thing is, people are not – many, many people I encounter uh, through my work don't have a habit of taking care of this battery. So the brain feeds off the battery. If you like, the line feeds off that battery, right? So we have a body, we have a mind – and, uh, and if, if the battery is low, the line's tired. Hence, the monkeys take over. So when we power up our battery, the line powers up, and it's almost automatic that we start to, to, to become more powerful in ourselves, more calm. Uh, we feel more in control. Our health obviously increases, but our mind becomes more focused and sharp, and all these scattered thoughts start to, to dissipate. Uh, and um, so we need to power that battery. That's the first thing. The second thing there is... We need to then understand the nature of our mind and what the mind needs other than fuel. So the battery, if you like, it's all the biochemical processes that happen in the body that create energy for the body, right? So our body, you know, take out the vital energy of our body, we're dead, right? Rest yeah, in peace. So we need, to, we need to charge up this battery. That we do through air, water, food, um, rest and exercise, and mind, peace of mind, if you like. Yeah? So, so the, the first three are putting the fuel in and the other two are managing that the energy. Yeah. So that we should be doing every day. But again, at school, we didn't learn this. No. And if you look at food, for instance, I mean, one of my mentors, a, a Chinaman who, who owns uh, a very large uh, superfood company, if you like, he said that man is the only animal that eats what the TV tells him to eat. So true. We're eating all the wrong stuff. So we're eating the wrong stuff. We're breathing polluted air. We're not breathing correctly. We're dehydrated or we're drinking the stuff body doesn't really want, yeah. sugar drinks, etc., or milk even. Our body wants milk up until two years old. After that, it doesn't want milk. It certainly doesn't want milk from another animal. Okay. And again, a lot of people will fight me on that, but I think more and more people are realizing that's probably the case now, um, etc. So we're starting off on our back foot early in the morning. Yeah? We're rushing to work. We throw a coffee, maybe a croissant with that. These are empty foods. And people say, yeah, coffee is for the brain. It's good to stimulate it, but not to nourish it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then we're at work. And then we're draining this thing called the mind. Now, a book, you might have come across this book back in the 80s. It was, uh, and it's still a popular book in management, a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a guy called Stephen Covey. Yeah. Right? American books, you got to excuse the, American, the Americanness of it, but nevertheless, the message is very powerful. And, uh, the seventh principle, which I would put as the first principle if I wrote that book, but he put it seventh, is sharpen the saw. Yeah. yeah. And I heard a story which made me think of that not that long ago where there was a, a, a lumberjack company in Canada cutting down trees and they hired a new guy, a new lumberjack. And the new lumberjack um, would take breaks every half an hour or so. And the other guys wouldn't. They'd just keep on working, work hard. And at the end of the second day, the foreman declared the day over and said, all right, guys, before you all go home, is there any issues, anything we need to discuss? And one of the guys says, yes, the new guy, Bob, um, 
where did he come from and what's his thing? He takes, he is taking breaks. He's kind of taking the piss. He's taking a break every half hour. Yeah. What's up with him? And the foreman says, yes, I know this as well. And a couple of others say, yeah, yeah, we know this, that. So they said, Bob, what's the deal here? Yeah, this is not Club Mediterranean. You know, we, we're here to do work. Yeah. He says, well, I understand you, you, why you guys are, are pulling me up on that. But before I tell you, um, let's do the count, the log count, right? So they counted everybody's logs and he had cut 20% more wood than anyone else. And they were baffled. Oh, wow. And I said, we don't understand. Uh, you're taking all these breaks five, 10 minutes at a time, many times a day. And, um, and, and you've cut more wood from us. He said, well, yes, I know at the break, you see me sip a bit of coffee, but what I'm really doing at the break is sharpening my ax. Love that. That is so powerful. That is, that is really, really cool analogy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So my question to all of us who are out there with jobs, which, which are really taxing our brain is, are we sharpening our axe? Are we sharpening the brain? Mm-hmm. Right. What, what, some, what, some ways, what some ways that they can go and sharpen the axe? What, what well, the best, medication, the best medication for the mind, mm. by far the most effective and, and timeless, it's been, you know, it's been, humans have been doing it for millennia, is meditation. Yeah. Because meditation not just switches you off, right? So in other words, think of nothing. If I ask someone to think of nothing, they can't think of nothing. No. The more you ask them to think of nothing, the more images come in their mind, right? So you've got to have a process that actually starts to train the mind. So uh, the, um, the, the, uh, a good meditation practice will, will uh, work with energy, and that energy will clean out all the distorted energy and reinforce the authentic energy, if you like, the original energy. So we become more in tune with our original flux of energy because uh, our energy, if you, again, that battery, right? Our energy is depleted, and not only that, it's polluted. Mm. Yeah, through the bad things, all our negative thoughts, all, all our emotional traumas that we've had in life—they've never been completed. I mean, how often do we get counselled by someone to, from kids all the way to adults, to deal with something that shocked us? Yeah, mm. and if you look in, in wildlife, and we get we, we we get assaulted in all different ways, emotionally, mentally, some people physically. And we never really have, we're not equipped with methodology to clear that. So our cellular system has held on to all that intense negative energy and hasn't released it. Now, if you look in the wildlife, talking about lions and, 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 uh, and monkeys, monkeys, yeah, gorillas and all that, in, in the savannah, when a, uh, when a, uh, a cheetah, uh, when, a, when an antelope is chased by a cheetah, if the antelope doesn't get caught and ends up being a cheetah's dinner, it will, because the cheetah can only run so far. It doesn't have the stamina. It has speed, but not stamina. So a strong antelope, an agile antelope could get away. And when it does, it's, of course, you know, if you were chased by a cheetah, you would be in serious shock. Yeah. Right? And of course, the antelope is in serious, serious, the gazelle is in serious shock. So what it does is when it's got a safe, quiet um, uh, area to be in and, and, and enough time, it will then... Uh, literally shake off all the adrenaline and cortisol and all the other very, very potent chemicals that give it superpower to run faster, but are very toxic and very draining on the body. You can see them on the, on the uh, wildlife programs. It will stand there and it will shake. And what it's doing, it literally shake from its legs. The whole body is shaking like this. And what it's doing is releasing the toxins that could get stuck in cells to put them in the bloodstream and then be excreted out the body. So it's not holding on to all of this. Now, we don't have anything like this for a boss abused us in, in some mental way or whatever, you know, yeah. really treat, you know, really 
rubbish dust in front of our people, it's shocking, it's traumatic, but we, we don't have any way. We don't drink alcohol. It drives it deeper into the cells. Yeah. So we become a, a, a human mind body, if you like, becomes accumulated with all this negativity. Meditation will, and, and it takes a while, and this is why a lot of people don't do it, because they said, oh, well, it takes too long. The life is going by anyway. So let's, let's, say it took, let's say it took a year to really benefit from it. Some methods will be shorter, but let's say a year. A year seems a very long time. Right? But the point is, this time next year, you'll be there, probably still in the same job. Exactly. You might as well start it now, because a year's time is going to come, right? Well, true. So, so the meditation will do that. It will, clear, it will clear all that toxicity out, and it will start charging you up with high-value I, I would call it cosmic energy. Now, I don't want to go too far out. Uh, <laughs> in the spiritual a, world. Yeah, in the spiritual world, but it's cosmic <laughs> energy, which is very real right yes. now. If you look at it scientifically, and when I'm dealing with uh, corporate executives, I, I, I will either start, if, if we get into conversation about meditation, because they definitely need it, and they actually crave it. If they knew what it was, they would crave it. And by the time I've introduced it to them in, in a manner where it's palatable to them, they enjoy it. And they get great results, phenomenal results. There's other things we do as well, but that right there is becomes a core exercise to do, which doesn't take too long. But you do it regularly, you start getting benefits. Like you put money in a decent bank account, you get the uh, uh, compound interest. Mm. So it starts to accelerate, and the benefits accelerate over time. But if they do it regularly, uh, they will experience that. And um, from a scientific perspective. Uh, you're dealing with different frequencies of energy. So, and this could be measured. They could put electrodes on your brain and, uh, and measure it. And our brain has four different types of frequencies in this model. It has uh, alpha frequency, uh, or it has beta frequency, it has alpha frequency, theta frequency, and delta frequency. And uh, beta, beta frequency is the agitated mind, yeah, like, like the waves at the top of the ocean, and then less agitated um, less undulated, if you like, at a higher amplitude would be the um, the alpha and then the theta and then the delta is deep comatose almost. Mm. Now, in, in theta mind, uh, in theta brainwave, the brain, when the body and brain is in theta brainwave, it heals itself. It's on like an automatic heal. So people who have the ability to uh, to willfully, knowingly, consciously increase the amplitude of their brain uh, function their brain waves can heal faster and they can learn faster wow. they can adapt faster they can open their mind and see a bigger picture but the healing is very interesting uh, I've practiced martial arts since a kid as I mentioned earlier on when I was in America I um, practiced in a, uh, a full-time Korean academy five days a week it was it was like a school here martial arts are practiced in church halls or community halls different yeah. times or sports halls there it's an academy it's open it's, it's dedicated to it so you, you can yeah. train as many as you like and so i trained under a grandmaster a korean grandmaster and um he was a zen master at the same time so this is when i first started being introduced to the powers of of the mind and how you can increase the power of your mind no matter where you came from no matter what your background was and this was exciting to me um but um a colleague of his a Korean guy had done a demonstration in California and they were going to, he was going to smash, uh, I think eight slabs of concrete wow. with little wood on wooden pegs. Yeah. So eight slabs, that is 
with his reverse hand, with this part of his hand. What? Bang. You know, I mean, extraordinary stuff, mind over matter. And at that level, they, they, they do that. And that art was known for, for destruction techniques. And he'd done it many times before. And now he's doing it in public. And at the last moment, he lost concentration and he completely shattered his hand into thousands of bits. All the bones were shattered. Because you know, the amount, the amount of force on a slab of concrete and he didn't apply the technique correctly, so the concrete didn't break. So therefore, the shock came back in his hand and broke off. They, he almost passed out. They, they carted him off to a hospital. And when he came out of uh, uh, unconsciousness, the doctor said, uh, you're in hospital, blah, blah, blah. Uh, your hand is completely shattered. You probably will never be able to use it again, but we're going to do our best to, to fix it. So they did. They gave him drugs and all sorts of things. So they started, yeah, they did all the things that could Western medicine can do. It's very good for acute problems like that. And, uh, but then when it was start, when, when Ned patched it up, at nighttime, what he would do, he'd use the power of his mind because this guy had meditated all this. He, 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 he was a massive lion. <laughs> a massive, massive lion. He was in real great control of his mind. And so he, 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 he could use all the different faculties of, of his mind that we don't even know exist for the most. He was very aware of that. So what he did at nighttime, he visualized, and he visualized that it's like a car assembly factory. And he visualized that his hand was on this massive scaffolding with the highest uh, level technology at the time. And his hand was on a scaffolding, all broken to bits. And, and they had these thousands of workers in the foreman. And he visualized every single worker, expression on the face, and I think, put them all there, and they're all on standby. And this is at nighttime. And then as he's about to sleep, he had the foreman, or this is in his visualization, like a mental movie, he had the foreman blow the whistle, and they all went to work on rebuilding his hand wow. as he's asleep. Yeah. Then as he woke up in the morning, the foreman blew the whistle and they all stopped working and they went home and he woke up and got on with his day. And they'd done it. Five weeks later, he went back to the hospital for checkup. His hand had overhealed. It had healed too well where now it became stiff. Everything had repaired too well. The bones had all repaired and it was now stiff. So then he did the same exercise, but now we put it on a, on a, on like a, a workbench and he had them with, uh, put oils, lubricant oils and all these different tools to loosen it, to soften it, to lubricate it. And a dozen weeks later, he went back to that demonstration and broke the eight slabs with the same hand. And the doctor said, you'd probably never use your hand again. So, so the mind thought yes. that. Well, when our mind integrates with our body and with our life and, and, and we utilize the, the, the inherent powers that we have, it's phenomenal. We can do extraordinary things. Definitely. I 100% agree. And I, I know, like, if we go, the way you talk about it with so much passion, like, I, I know we can go so deep into this whole, this is like a whole other episode by itself. Like, we can go yes. so deep into the mind and, like, I'm sure there's so much, so many other experiences that you. But when when a businessman starts to operate his mind that way, right? So he's sharpened the saw in the morning or at night or both. Yeah, it's like a butcher, right? A busy butcher shop. The first thing they do in the morning, they're sharpening all the knives. Yeah, they've got to. Otherwise, by three o'clock, they can't cut meat. Right. So the same with the mind. So the businessmen who start doing that, and it's just one of many things they can do. But if they just start doing that, they start to find themselves working less in the business and more on the business. And the leader is actually paid to think. He's not paid to work with his hands so much. He's paid to think. But how many leaders of businesses do you know who are engulfed in the business, True. firefighting all day long? 
They're working too much in the business, not enough on the business. So they never really achieve their entrepreneurial dream of having freedom of time, freedom of money, and freedom of creativity. Mm. So true. Yeah. Love that. So powerful. Johan, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by like, your wisdom and what you've been sharing all this time. You're welcome. I know we're kind of like running out of time, but yes. like, I would have loved to have gone even more deeper with you. But oh, I want to do like, another thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, all the people that are listening... Uh, until now like uh, hopefully like you can reach out to Johan anytime and just before we finish off the episode Johan I always ask Peter, uh, that my guests four questions at the end of the show called the final four where right. I'm just going to ask a question and the first answer that comes to your head you just shoot it go for it Sounds good. so the first question I've got yeah. for you specifically is actually in one sentence how can you how, how can someone listening to this podcast right now how can they gain more confidence in the offline world, so in the more mindful state of being? Okay, well, I think what they can do is at the end of the day, sit down, take a piece of paper and ask myself, what worked today? What didn't work so well? What am I happy with? What I'm not happy with? What can I do better? What should I do more of? What should I stop doing altogether? And what do I need to learn? Just stop and do that little uh, what's so of my day. So that that day, doesn't spill straight back into the other day and it becomes one continuous line. You've got to interrupt it somewhere. So that's probably, that's what came to my mind. Okay. Hopefully that's helpful. No, hundred percent. I love that. That's, that's so cool. Make sure like, if you're listening, like I really want everybody that's listening to take action on, on what Johan says and what, what all the guests say. I mean, end of the day, like everybody's coming on to listen to the podcast, to, to take something away and those little nuggets of wisdom. And, and it's only useful if we actually go and put it into action. There's no point listening to, uh, in, inspirational people or you know wisdom from others and then doing nothing with it right we have to actually go and take action in our life and, and, and do Absolutely. the that we learn yeah. um, the second question I have for you Han is which one video movie or documentary that you've seen in your life would you recommend everyone to go and check out because it will really help them have that that, that paradigm shift or that mind shift <sighs> Ooh, I know there's probably so many, but like, there must be one that sticks to your mind that's really like changed your life in a way, in, in a more positive manner where you've had some kind of a shift or you know, some, something changed inside of you internally. Uh, well, the movie that comes to my mind, I think it's because of the conversation you had, is the movie about Ray Kroc's life. You were talking about McDonald's earlier on. Yeah. That's a very good movie. Um, have you seen the one? I forget what it's called now. Uh it's the story of Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you know the name. Talking about actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's a really good movie. That's the one that comes to my mind right now. Yeah, Love that, that is a yeah. that is a great movie. It will it, it shows just what is now. I, I I'm not in admiration of everything that Ray Kroc did, but it just goes to show that it shows that if someone is determined to do something, that they, they will make it happen. Yeah. Definitely. Now, it's not always authentic. You want to be authentically determined as opposed to inauthentic. What I'm saying there is a lot of people are doing stuff to prove something. Uh, yeah. to, to themselves or that I'm better than dad or whatever. And that's inauthentic because that's really the little child who is still hurt, who is then getting in the way of professional life. But anyway, but that, that one, the Ray Kroc story is pretty inspiring. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. So make sure you guys go and check that out. Uh, the, uh, the, so the third question I have for you is which one yes. book now is the one that you would definitely recommend everyone listening to go and read because it's, it's, it's genuinely going to help them in their life for, with their personal growth, with their mindset, with it could be meditate whatever it is that something that's that you you would love to share with everyone to go on read okay well the book i've been sharing uh with a lot of clients recently and uh and, and i'm talking now leaders of organizations chairman and so forth they all want to learn 
uh, many of them come to me and they say, I want to learn to, uh, to, to create better strategies for my business. So there's a book called The 33 Strategies of War. Wow, okay. I, I believe it's yeah. written by Robert Greene. Uh, it's on, I heard it on Audible, so uh, the audio version, phenomenal. And it, it goes through history of great figures, some that we know you would have heard of, some that you haven't, of how they created strategies uh, in war to win. And it's not always what you think. Yeah, it's wow. some very, very clever strategizing. Check that out, Marshall. Ben, actually, I haven't, uh, I haven't thinking heard. outside of the box often. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. 100%. I'm, I'm going to actually go and check that out myself. Um, yeah, and the last question I've got for you, Johan, before you leave yes. is, if you can spend a few hours to learn from someone's wisdom, whether they're dead or alive, who would that one person be and why? I would spend more time with my uh, spiritual teacher, who is a Vietnamese guy called Long Sihang. He died about 10 years ago. And um, the wisdom is unlimited. And he was a businessman in his younger age. So you can learn a lot about business as well, but um, how to fully leverage all the powers of the mind. And no matter what you're doing, you know, I, I'd rather learn how to use my mind than learn um, knowledge. Knowledge, when your mind is fully switched on, you can learn knowledge fast. Mm. If your mind isn't fully switched on, you might know knowledge, but you might not know how to apply it. True. So for me, it's the vertical. For me, the, 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 the leader, if you like, in my mind, wants to be wisdom. And then the knowledge, wisdom will leverage the knowledge wherever I need it. Yeah. So wisdom, how to use the mind and understand the principles of life and, uh, and, and, and how, how everything works. When we have wisdom, we see through, uh, we see clearly. We, it's, a bit like you, it's a bit like a business, not just on business, but on your life, you have a helicopter view where you can see the full, um, Aerial, the full yeah. implications of everything, of cause and effect. And uh, so any moments that I spent with him were just literally mind-blowing moments, which when I bought... You know, as, uh, earlier on, you talk about knowledge and applying the knowledge. Um, many years ago, I saw a very short saying that said, to, new, to, uh, to know and not to do is not to know. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I, like, I love that. Yeah, so yeah. true. So it's taking something and applying it. And the things that I've t- taken from him, I've had many great mentors, but, but uh, the things I've taken from him applied were absolute life-shattering, transformational. So um, I would... Uh, not many, many people know him. He was... He worked mostly with the Vietnamese community, but I had the great, through all sorts of extraordinary coincidence, had the great pleasure to meet him and, and, and know him quite well. Well, he wasn't in another hotel lobby you were having the coffee, right? Was it? It wasn't. It was, uh, <laughs> I was at the business conference and this lady came up to me and, 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 uh, and, and I'll tell you, that's a long story, but okay. it, was, it was, it was, I was certainly not expecting it. And, uh, and, and I got this introduction to this guy and just opened up. Many doors. A whole universe in my mind, if you like. Many doors. Oh, amazing. Also, yeah. I just wanted to kind of add as well, just from what you just, what you just said before that, was yes. I think a lot of people, um, they, like, one thing that I learned from one of my mentors was if you can do something, if it takes you five minutes to do something, just do it now. Yes. Meaning like if there's small things during the day where it, like, like an email or a message or you need to call someone or you need to book something, if you always say to yourself, I'm going to do it tomorrow or I'll do it later, when you yes. know you can do it right now, just do it right now. If it well, I, well, I actually, yes, well, I would argue with that, okay? I would argue that because I find people doing, and I get what you're saying, don't procrastinate, right? Yeah. But sometimes you want to purposefully procrastinate. It's planned procrastination. Yeah, that's different though, I think, yeah. yeah. Because uh, one of the, the, the mantras, if you like, the sayings that I teach uh, all my guys is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
The main thing is to keep the main thing right. the main thing. In business. So if you're a business leader, the main thing, say you're a CEO of a big company, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You need to determine what the main thing is. Mm. That will be a vision. That will be a culture. And that will be then a whole set of goals. Yeah. Right? That's the main thing. So you want to organize your activity, your time, your resources to point towards that main thing. A lot of people are not clear on what the main thing is, either in their business or in their life. So their time and their activity is slightly off target and they don't reach it and they're unfulfilled. Yeah. So they will do the easy stuff first. And actually talk about books. If you want to read a good book, again, one that I read many years ago, but it set me up right for prioritizing my time was a book written by a guy called Brian Tracy. You might've come across him in American uh, business coach. Yeah. A, a book called eat that frog. And uh, in that book, he says, the frog is the tough, nasty, really hard task that you're procrastinating. You're avoiding, but it's the one that will have the biggest impact on your goal. He says, do it first thing, get that out of the way. Yeah. Rather than do the easy stuff or the comfortable stuff. So there we go. I love yeah. it. That's an amazing way to end the end the episode. I love that. Great. Thank you so much. Honestly, Johan, I, I really appreciate your wisdom. Yeah. Thanks for being on yeah. the podcast and sharing everything with you. you know, with You're everybody. welcome. And I wish I could have gone in deeper, but I know that's the end of the episode for because I think a lot of people have such a short attention span anyways. So like an hour episode of a podcast is like, oh, do I really want, when am I going to make time to listen to it? So I really appreciate your time firstly. And second, You're very welcome. Great that we're connected. How can everyone listening right now go and reach out to you or ask you questions or, you know, ask you for some kind of guidance or, or tips on something that they can Okay. Well, they, they can find me on my website. I've got a, it's more of a landing page, but a website called um, magnifyyourgreatness.com, all in one word. So magnifyyourgreatness.com. Uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Johan Taft. That's J-O-H-A-N-T-A-F-T, uh, surname. And on LinkedIn, I'm there and you'll find me there. And um, I'd be very happy to, to chat with people. Or they can email me, johan at magnifyyourgreatness.com. And guys, honestly, I want you guys to email this man. <laughs> I want you guys to reach out to him on LinkedIn. And like, honestly, he, you can learn so much from him. And I'm sure he's so open to um, find the time to respond to your email, your message. Just ask him anything that you want some kind of clarification on or guidance. Or just yeah. to say that you learned something from this episode and, and, and share some love with him. Sure. And if there's anyone there who has a business and they're struggling, they're working too hard for the returns and it's starting to erode them and eroding the, the dream or the goals ahead in the business, they can reach out to me and I'd be happy to spend 90 minutes with them either online or if they're in London, we can have a coffee and uh, we can look at uh, their, their whole situation. I can let them know whether I could help and, uh, and if there's a fit or not. Um, so I'd be Maybe happy to not. do that. That's free. I do that. That's, that's complimentary. Um, after that, of course, it's paying and my fees are are fairly steep um but i like to think that we get the job done so 100 no, i love that so guys if you are in that situation make sure you reach out to johan honestly like you will learn so much and he's offering it the 90 minutes for free so if you're in london if you're not in london he does skype calls as well um reach out yep. to him and he'll he'll be he'll, he'll be glad to help you guys out but again thank you so much johan for being on the pod on the purpose of thank you for writing me sadik it's been really great excellent you're welcome you're welcome take care of yourself yeah, and hopefully we'll catch up soon for coffee again uh, on the 38th floor at the uh, the hotel in 100%. Canary Wharf. That's the, the yeah. best view in London. <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to that. Amazing. Thank you so much, man. Take care of yourself. My pleasure. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
If you're still there, I just want to say a massive thank you for your attention and your time. It really means a lot to me. Please do me one favor and subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a rating on whichever platform you're listening to this. It would honestly mean the world to me. Thank you so much once again. I hope that this episode brought value and inspiration into your life, and I'll see you guys next week.